0: Welcome to Blockspaces Live, the podcast where we help real people solve real-world problems with blockchain and web3. All our episodes are recorded live, which means you're welcome to attend yourself, to ask questions, and be a part of our community. To get your invite, head to blockspaces.com/podcast and hit subscribe. In today's episode, we chat with Gregory McCubbin, founder of Dapp University, about the path to becoming a blockchain developer. Listen now to find out why a CS degree might be a disadvantage when it comes to learning Web3, the importance of niching down on a specific technology or use case if you want to land a job, and which blockchain technology Gregory recommends you learn first. Ready? Here we go. Gregory, you've been creating content to help people become blockchain developers since 2018 if I'm not mistaken, which is super impressive. You know, One of the first people to, to really start doing that at scale. So uh, to start us off, can you just share how you got into blockchain in the first place and uh, what inspired you to to start helping others?
1: Yeah, so there's a a lot there. It's sort of like, man, how much time do you have? So. Yeah, I guess we'll kind of try to answer both questions at the same time. So, you know, I I got into blockchain uh, mostly because I saw it as a massive opportunity that was really untapped, right? I got into the space in 2017, and that's when it caught my attention, like a lot of other people, right? Um, Basically, I saw the price of cryptocurrencies going up like crazy. That's what attracts most people into the space in the first place, right? Um, And I saw that, of course, as an opportunity. But, you know, when I looked underneath the hood, I was like, hey, this is more than just like, you know, investing. Or speculating uh, with money, right? Is there's there's a whole a technology behind this, all right? So I was already a I was already a software developer before I became a blockchain developer. I want everybody to understand that, like, you know, clearly. But because I saw that, I was like, hey, look, I can see all these teams that are building this projects Like they're just posting this stuff on GitHub, they're shipping it. You can look at the code for these applications. And that's when I kind of really dug in, was like, whoa, like started connecting the dots and seeing the potential of this technology, you know, I understood pretty deeply how the web 2.0 stack works and how blockchain is a huge paradigm shift uh, for that creating you know, the internet of value that didn't really exist in the web 2.0 world. And I was like, Hey, you know, that's, that's where this space is headed. Right. I don't know how long it's going to take for us to reach the hollowed land of, uh, this, you know, web 3.0 utopia (laughs) that people kind of like to talk about. Right. But, um, we're headed that, headed that direction or some version of it. Okay. And I wanted to be at the forefront of that, helping people get into space. Well, I didn't get to that part yet. I just knew I want to be a part of it, but Talking about how I get into helping people. You know, I was doing that before I became a blockchain developer and teaching other people blockchain development, right? So, like, my background is I'm a self taught developer. Uh, I didn't go to school for computer science. Um, you know, I didn't go to a coding boot camp. I actually got rejected from coding boot camp. <laughs> so, I had to teach myself the hard way, you know, on my own. And um, after I did that, you know, and did, you know, lots of the people knew that I kind of changed my career and, uh, asked me how I did that and, you know, expressed interest in doing the same thing. And so I probably helped, you know, a dozen people or so just through my personal life that I knew become developers too before I started DAP University. And I was like, well you know, I I really liked helping people like get that life changing result because they were working jobs they hated, you know, wanted to become developers. And like, I knew how transformational that is and what a massive, you know, pressure gets taken off. Like once you get into a career that has a ton of long-term potential, if you didn't have one before and also one that you like doing as opposed to one that you hate. Um, And so that's really what drove me to help those people. And that's what drives me to help people now. And sort of the convergence of those two things is really why. I wanted to start DAPU Diversity, plus when I got in the space, there was basically no good resources on how to do it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I, something you said a moment ago, really, I think that's common for a lot of people who come into this space. They see that paradigm shift coming. They know that this is a new way of um, exchanging value and assigning value. And we don't know the timing of how quickly things will will play out, but you, you knew that this was going to happen. It was kind of inevitable. And that was that kind of spark that got you into the space and you learned it and you started helping others. And, um, you know, you, you've, you've done a lot since then. So tell us what you're doing now, uh, with DAP university and your YouTube channel. I think you have what over half a million subscribers right now. What are you, what what are you focused on at the moment?
1: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, the vision, um, with the YouTube channel hasn't really changed that much, you know, since I started Um, again, I started because there was like basically no resources on how to do blockchain development in 2017 I was published my first video in 2018 and that's why right so i had to learn the skills on my own basically just by looking at documentation a lot of which was really poorly written right there's a handful of like you know blog posts and stuff and they were pretty bad too and so i was like i want to create the best resource online for people to learn how to become blockchain developers and initially I did that, (laughs) you know, and so that was my North star and that hasn't really changed that much. Uh, That's looked like different things over time, you know, as, you know, attention is sort of like, you know, ebbed and flowed in the space. Um, You know, we've seen times when that attention is absolutely crazy that typically corresponds to cryptocurrency prices going up and things get a little bit quieter Mm -hmm. uh, while prices have been kind of depressed. But, you know, even, even in that slower time, like, you know, the mission hasn't really changed uh, because and part of the reason for that is because like, I got started in a horrible bear market, right? Like I started laying <laughs> the foundations for what I have now, when nobody cared, like when nobody cared, and it looked like you were heading in the opposite direction of, of everybody else. Um, so I know what it's like to sort of sow the seeds before the harvest, so to speak. And you know, yeah. I, I try to really try to encourage people uh, in times like now when the tension is quite it is it is quite quite depressed compared to what was before. That like, hey this is the absolute best time to double down on your skills because whenever the attention comes back like crazy and people are, you know, you're going to be way ahead. And that's what I did That that mission. Hasn't changed. I'm really, and if if something is different about now versus back then I've got experience of being in a quiet space, I know we're in a quiet space now and I want to give people extra encouragement to do the exact opposite of what most people do right now to get ahead of the coming way. Mm-hmm. Cause I did it. And I'm really glad that I did.
2: all the dodge of, you know, the, the bear markets are for building. Right. And so it's the perfect time to get involved. Do you, do you think, cause I, I know like a lot of things happened in 2020, obviously, but one of the things that kind of gets under people's attention is the Bitcoin having, right. Mm-hmm. That sort of like kicked off the last, the last cycle. And so like, how much interest do you, would you say that like the pandemic had in getting people started, um, in getting interested versus just a Bitcoin having hype?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think 2020 was a confluence of many different things, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can debate on the effect of the Bitcoin having. Um, pandemic definitely, I think, did have an effect. I don't know if we're allowed to say that word. I don't know if y'all have like censorship <laughs> problems with saying. I, I but, think we're good. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, they were good. You know, I don't have an algorithm that's gonna like stop showing people the video. Um, <laughs> it, I, I think that that definitely had a uh, effect, right? So I, I think part of that is um, a fewfold. One is well, it's really threefold. One is I think it showed people that um the the world is now um you know volatile, and that mm-hmm. you know maybe I should start looking at things to like maybe I start looking for different resources to help to kind of secure my future rather than just you know rely on my job that could disappear mm-hmm. at any time
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know what i mean um it, 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 like people saying like hey, we gotta shut down your brick and mortar business." <laughs> Or mm-hmm. you can't come into right. the office, or like you know we have to essentially. Email. People aren't like like might have lost their jobs, right? So I, I think that that kind of caused people to start looking for other ways to better themselves aside from their job. Right? People were already doing that, I think. I think it kind of poured gasoline on that trend. Um, another is it kept people inside, and so people were watching screens way more than they were before. Mm-hmm. So either they were not working, and they were you know on their computer or they started working from home when they never had before. And let's be for real. Most people that are working from home are spending a significant amount of time, like on social media when they're supposed to be doing something else. So like Mm -hmm. that, that's a huge part of it. Right. That, that, and they're like, Oh, this crypto thing started taking off and you have all these people that are starting to watch, you know, that and try to get ahead. And then, um, I mean, obviously, monetary stimulus that happened as a result of 2020, global liquidity changing, a lot of that flowed into crypto, which caused prices to go up.
2: Um, yeah, there's lots of stuff. And from from your experience with Dapp University YouTube channel, whatever boot camps you do, what can, like can you describe to us? Like, is there like a typical journey that someone undergoes from like the decision to try to learn this stuff all the way to getting a job? Like, is there like a typical journey that happens there? there's a few different uh there's a few different
1: ways but they they all kind of follow a similar pattern right because you have to start with background what's my background Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then what's their destination right so um the background is usually one of three things either they know nothing and they they want to become a blockchain developer um or they know some amount of programming, whether that's they've they've coded before in the past, just a little bit, or they're already a professional software developer. Um, That's a pretty big range, but still. Uh, Or they're like a computer science student, and then they want to like graduate and like get into blockchain. That's usually like the three kind of main food groups people fall into. Hmm. I realize you could call call the computer science person somebody with programming experience, but, you know... Hmm. They don't have the real world
0: experience. It's more like academic, yeah, yeah, theoretical. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, totally. And so, you know, um, I, you know, I'm really big on. It. So I'll talk. I'll talk about how I've helped people do this, right? You know, there's there's lots of ways that other people could do it, but I I really do think the way that I do it is the best way. Um, that's, I mean, I'm consistent with what I what I preach here. Um, so the best way to learn is through immersion. Um, it's just like you learn a foreign language, right? And that's got a lot to do with uh, just context. You know, one of the biggest questions, one of the biggest complaints to hear about kids in school when they don't like what they're learning, they're saying, when am I ever going to use this, right? Because they don't see the purpose. Mm-hmm. They don't see the reason and right. why they're doing it. So, you know, if, if I were to teach you how to code and I gave you like a code editor in your browser and was like, hey, just start like playing out this programming language, but you don't know why you're doing it, <laughs> like none of that stuff's going to stick. Yep. None of it's going to stick, mm-hmm. right? So um, basically... You know, I teach people to immersion because like you're learning the programming languages as you go and you get context and skills at the same time. You see exactly why you're doing something so that's way more efficient. It's it causes information to stick more. Uh, and basically the way to do that is just by building things. But we in a very guided fashion. OK, um, that's that's what that's how you get the fastest foundation. You know, nobody that, that's, that's really like step one. That's really what I focus on my YouTube channel. That's what I focus on and my, my foundational trainings. Um, but then step two is you have to actually get functional coding skills for yourself because nobody actually becomes, you know, proficient um, by just like following somebody else's instructions. So you have to start building things on your own. So basically that just means like trying to build something in an unguided way. I call it unguided development. So you basically have to pick something you want to create and then you just have to figure out how to write the code to do it. Now, it it depends on what you're doing, like, if you're doing it on your own, you kind of have to bump into walls and you know, get on Google and figure it out. If you're doing it with, like, a coding boot camp or something, like, you have support and people kind of, like, nudge you in the right direction. But ultimately, you have to kind of pull the rabbit out of the hat. Um, and that's how you really get those skills. And then, you know, way – that's, like, set number two. Uh, hopefully, you would cap that off with a full project that you've created to put out there to show what you can do. And then, you know, in terms of getting a job, like – It really is as simple as that, like, you know, especially if you don't have any experience, like people are going to, ultimately people have to take a chance on you. So how do you increase the likelihood that you're going to get that chance? Well, it's to show them what you can do. And that's what having some really solid like portfolio does. So like, you know, there's the catch 22, if you need experience to get a job, well, how do you get a job with that experience? You get the experience outside of the workplace and that's what you do by creating your own apps. And then you show people that you can do that. And these days, more people care about what you can do other than where you went to school, what your degree is and stuff. Those are nice. But if you don't have them, they're not they're not mandatory. But, you know, showing people that you created something for real is mandatory if you don't have those things. And it accomplishes multiple purposes. And then really, it's just a numbers game about trying to get from as many people as you can once you have those things. And not everybody's going to take a chance on you, but the, the more numbers that you, you know, go after you're just going to increase the likelihood that's going to happen sooner and that that's pretty much
0: Does hmm. one of those uh tracks have an advantage over the other like to someone with previous development experience or that computer science degree are they that much further ahead than somebody who's coming into web 3 as a brand new developer as well
1: <laughs> i have a i have a controversial take on this okay uh, and i uh, I'll preface it by saying it's it's no offense to who I'm going to potentially uh, offend by saying this um, so if you're an experienced developer already you're gonna have a, a big advantage because you already understand how to program like in what it takes to become a real developer right that that's not the offensive part um, mm-hmm. that's just kind of like basic logic right um, you'll pick up web3 fast and somebody's never coded before right mm-hmm. but but um. The person who's never coded for before actually might have an advantage over the computer science student. <laughs> okay. So okay. I've, I've seen this in the past. This is the potentially offensive part. And this is not to offend anybody who's like a CS student or like hasn't graduated and got a job yet. But um, sometimes they can be a little deluded into what they actually know um, in, in the sense that they understand concepts but can't actually do practical things. Mm-hmm. And again, coding is a skill-based thing. Um, Again, I don't have a CS degree and like when I got into software development, like I scaled into that way faster than most people who had CS degrees. I've seen the exact same thing happen in blockchain because Mm. if you focus on skills, you can get the skills and know what you need to know and then round out your conceptual knowledge once you have the context again i was going back to context like i was saying before it, it's putting the cart for the horse if you get all this context without actual context isn't like concepts without context that's kind of what cs does in a lot of ways and then you know you kind of have to get the practical experience later but if you start with practical experience you can get the you can get the the concepts faster because you see exactly how they work so basically okay. i mean if you put people on the same like Five-year trajectory, like they may even out, right? But you might get immediate results faster if you mm-hmm. don't have that. That's my controversial. Okay, takeaway.
0: so you're saying, like in the in the CS program, you're learning like theoretical concepts, you're learning foundational things, which are helpful, well, but mean, you're not. Good. No, am I getting that you, wrong? You, you can.
1: Well, you can still learn practical skills. It's just not the same as working as a developer. Anybody mm-hmm. who's kind of been through that full journey can can attest to that. <laughs> I'm really not. Try to knock on CS degrees here, like they, like mm-hmm. like. I know a lot of people CS degrees who are um, great developers. They're great professionals, but I, I also know I also know some people who have a false sense of security um, with their CS degree that that maybe actually didn't give them as much of a practical advantage as mm-hmm. as they were hoping mm-hmm. it would.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a good parallel there with what we were talking about before we started recording with uh, with like music industry stuff, right? Like someone exactly. who went to yeah. a recording school. Right? right they may have conceptual advantages of how like what what instruments should go where in a mix and all these things but if they've never actually placed an SM57 in front of a vintage 30 they have <laughs> no idea <laughs> you know so yeah. someone who's never done it before right is going to have right. an advantage of being a blank slate and not having like yeah it, it makes total sense
1: yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, same type of thing. I mean, I, I know lots of people with music degrees who like can't play, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> right. it be because music is way more about, uh, you know, it comes from here, not from here. You know what I mean?
2: You can play mm-hmm. on the right notes, but if you don't play with feeling, then, then nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So with, so going back to like the person who has like zero coding experience, right. So like, and they decide they, they want to dive in and learn blockchain. Is there like a specific, tech stack or language or use case that they should maybe just like zero in on. That's going to be the most educational. Like what, what do you, what would you yep. guide the person with there?
1: Yep. hundred percent. There's so many things you could learn in blockchain, but you have to The last thing you want to do is dabble in a bunch of different things and never get good enough at anything. So, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to get good enough, you want to get good enough at the stuff that has the most traction, the most demand. I sort of made a bet on what that tech stack was, in the early days, and I haven't been wrong since. So, you know, back when I started, uh, um, you know, it was basically like like we were still debating on whether we should build on EOS or Ethereum. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that's that that's going to date me quite a bit, right? Um, but you know, I I I saw that Ethereum had the most traction. Um, it had the most developers in the ecosystem. You know, I said that there weren't many resources out there. That's true, but there were still like libraries and things that I could use. I was frameworks. There was there's stuff that was mature enough where I was like, okay, I can I can become productive in this. And that stuff's only gotten better. We've only gotten more developers. We've only got more of a lead. There's more demand, and, and that's an indicator of demand for the technology. Um, so. I started off with Ethereum, have not seen a compelling reason to change because it's just continued to c- continue to become a leader in the space in terms of developer activity. So um, really, really, that means like the Solidity programming language, because now the beauty of that is there's all these other EVM compatible chains, all these other layer twos, you know, the EVM is not just about becoming an Ethereum developer, it's about becoming an EVM developer. And that EVM mm-hmm. is now expanded into so many other things. So if you learn Solidity, you can deploy your contracts to dozens of different different blockchains. And there's only a handful that won't support that. Um, and, you know, yeah. So so it, m- my whole thing is like, if you're going to become a blockchain developer, you can become a minimally viable blockchain developer by just knowing one programming language, right? That's solidity because you can do so much with it. But realistically, like, but you want to start there. And and my whole thing with immersion is also priorities. So you want to start with the thing that gives you the most benefit and then learn everything else as you go. So like Mm -hmm. starting with solidity has a pretty controversial take. A lot of people say, don't do that. You know, go, go learn a bunch of other stuff first and then go. But I'm like, Hey, this is totally inefficient. Like it, it doesn't matter. And, and honestly, I used to think the other way. Um, but I had to change my opinion after I had all these people that I helped start with Solidity and then get their first job right because I think a lot of programs are just biased to what they did uh, and think it has mm-hmm. to happen that way and i know I'm kinda of, kind of ramble on that point, but basically number one tech stack solidity most important thing it's what differentiates you as a blockchain developer uh because if you don't if you don't know that, then you know you can't really do other stuff
0: Is there a risk um, they, that uh, good go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. is there a risk that if, if everyone's piling into solidity that if you're coming into the space that you have difficulty standing out and, and kind of getting up to speed or being at a level of proficiency against the I don't know, hundreds or thousands of other people who are doing that or are you not seeing that yet yeah. or yeah
1: so um it's a good question uh, i'll kind of answer in a couple ways i mean number one there's, there's no, like the blockchain developer market is nowhere even close to saturated. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the demand is outpacing the supply of people who are entering that's into right. the space. So that that's one thing. Now, Solidity is a little bit of a, of a, of a unique scenario because when you're coding Solidity applications, like there's a lot at stake, right? Like coding a DeFi application that holds, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. They're probably not going to get somebody who learned that like last year to just like, you know, build the heart and soul of that thing. Right. But that doesn't matter. Right. There's still lots of things that a junior blockchain developer can do, uh, to assist in that process. Right. Um, but that's, that's true in the web 2.0 world too, right? Like, like nobody learns to code and becomes a master architect CTO of like a Mm -hmm. fortune 500 company over. I mean, some people do, but like that, that's not, that's not the trajectory of most people. Right. And same for solidity, Mm -hmm. like in a raging bull market, do some smart people get in and like, you know, uh, start steering a ship pretty early and, and, you know, steward lots of money. Yeah. But that's not the typical route. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that That's one of the reasons I'll get my next point, which is why you should learn a secondary programming language, but you should make it your second priority. Um, so you know getting into solidity, like you're gonna have to do other stuff with your smart contracts. You got to write tests for them, more than them be good. You got to write scripts for them, you have to put them on a blockchain. Um, and if you're trying to land a job, like most people want to see some type of user interface that they can use so that you've actually created a full app and so that's why my number one recommendation is to learn javascript as your secondary programming language you mm-hmm. could learn python like if you're already a python developer you're gonna have a huge edge but you're not gonna have the same flexibility with the user interface side of things as you with javascript um and the other big benefit is you know, javascript is the lingua franca of the web right so you know if, if you're trying to break into the industry you want to give yourself the most options for breaking in right and I said before, is you have to, somebody ultimately has to take a chance on you. And the more, you know, the more kind of things you're doing to increase that likelihood, the better. So, like, one point of entry for some people is to, like, become a front end developer on a Web 3.0 application where they can help with Mm -hmm. that stuff. And if you know JavaScript, that's good. But if you understand the back end side of things, like, you're going to have a huge edge over just like some. Some just developer who's like, oh, I'll, I'll build this, but then you don't really know what you're doing you don't know how to use ethers j s. you don't know how to use web three j s you don't know how transaction life cycles work you don't know how events work you don't know how all this other stuff works, but if you learn that stuff by building the smart contracts, then you do that and then you could you know scale into that so th- that that just gives you more viable options to start um, but there's also lots of opportunities to start on the smart contract side of things too it's just it's just different
2: mm-hmm. yeah so that's got a really interesting from. I was just gonna say, uh, we got a question in the chat. Um, do you see a uh, developer interest for for a quote like real world assets use cases, like supply chain, tradfi integrations? If so, um, any recommendation for those devs coming from the Web two world? Yes, um, yes to all those things.
1: Um, supply chain
2: <laughs> is a little bit more of a
1: I don't say speculative use case. It just doesn't a lot of, doesn't have a lot of traction right now. Mm Um, I mean, I, I remember going to like conferences in 20, I think like eight, 18 or 19 where like Starbucks had like their supply chain thing, like prototype that they were working on. I mean, supply chain has been a conversation for a long time. We just haven't really seen it like, um, really bubble up quite as much as things like DeFi or other NFT based use cases. So another TradFi though. Yeah. I think one big thing to watch out for in TradFi coming in the pike is potentially what's going to happen with forex um because the forex market is massive compared to stocks and bonds um and guess what's happening we're issuing lots of different fiat-backed stable coins of different fiat currencies which gives birth to a forex ecosystem so basically we started off with you know us dollar-backed stable coins you know, everybody thinks a stable coins is a cryptocurrency price doesn't change, but really it's just mm-hmm. a stable coin that's, it's just it's a cryptocurrency that's pegged to a currency that has an issue where they can honor redemptions in that. So start off with USD coins, all right, US Circle's doing that. But you know, what happens when we get a, a, a Euro, hold on a second, I think my camera's going to die here. Let me just, uh, I'm going to change my, my FaceTime camera, buddy. Sorry, hold on.
0: Yeah, no worries. No worries.
1: That's the problem using a, a nice camera. Sometimes it overheats. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) Well, is it going to let me do it? I just went to my settings and it's not letting me change it. Can I like, uh,
0: on everybody? No, take your time. While you're doing that, just one of the things that you shared was really interesting was you were talking about how, um, you know, the importance of learning solidity and starting there in in a web three context, but then you started talking about learning, uh, JavaScript, um, you know, not, not necessarily a, a Web3 programming language, um, you know, something that's, that's been around for a while. And you you were, what I heard you saying was how you could, um, if you wanted to get into Web3 development or blockchain development, you didn't necessarily have to go directly into building on Web3 or building on smart smart contracts. You could work for um, an organization or a, a project that's doing things in web three, but you can work on the web two side of it, work, you know, working in JavaScript or maybe Python. Yep. And then that can be kind of a segue for you to get into web three work um, proper, doing the smart contract work um, and, and doing that actual, actual blockchain development. But you don't have to go from nothing directly there. You can kind of work your way there by degrees. And uh, I just wanted to re- reiterate that because I think that's a really helpful um, piece of advice for someone who's making that journey it kind of uh, you know, de-risks it a little bit because you don't have to make that huge jump across this chasm. You can work your way there in, in more of an incremental fashion. Did I, did I capture all that right?
1: Yeah, no, totally. That's that's it, 100%. There's multiple points of entry. You know, you can work on the front end. You can work on QA automation. Um, you can work on you know but yeah, be a complete automation engineer mm-hmm. doing like scripting i mean there's there's so many different things you build prototypes like there's there's lots of different stuff you can do
0: it looks like you got the camera working you're probably just passing too much knowledge through the camera and it can't handle it all so <laughs> we need to slow things down we can't
1: <laughs> yeah uh, this thing it's just uh it's it just overheats and i have this problem it, i was recording videos before we jumped on this and i had it on for about two yeah. hours and so it's like after about Two and a half hours, it starts to go kaput. So it, it, yes, it made. I, I tried to switch over to my laptop camera, but the software won't let me change camera sources while we're recording. <laughs>
0: okay, no worries. All right, well, we'll keep pressing on, Drew. I think you you were following up on that question Oscar asked.
2: Um, no, he uh, Gregory pretty much pretty much answered it. Um, unless there's anything, unless there's anything Gregory, you would want to kind of add because I think the TradFi is more of an interesting proposition there with with stablecoin. Yeah, I now.
1: mean money use cases are the most sure bet of blockchain long term, you know. Like mm-hmm. we're still early, we don't exactly know everything that's going to work perfectly, but if you start to think from first principles, internet of value, you know what I mean? Um, which I still think is a compelling, you know, way to describe web 3.0 and blockchain. Um, Of course, NFTs are big, but what's already got traction now is money, cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. stable coins. Mm -hmm. Stable coins are super boring to most people, and they overlook why they're such a big deal. Because if you're doing – most consumers don't use stable coins to pay for things. But if you're talking about doing business-to-business payments, like if if you hired me as a developer and were like wanting me to build an app for you – I would ask for the payment in stablecoin because it's the fastest way that I receive the money, I know that I have it and then I can go do stuff mm-hmm. with it. And it's borderless. You could send it if you were if you were in Europe and I'm in the US and you wanted to pay, it's just easy, you know. If I want to make a very large payment for something like a piece of property for example, buy a piece of real estate, I don't want to do a wire transfer. That mm-hmm. costs money and takes a lot of time. I have to go to a bank to do it, right? If mm-hmm. I might just pay you the stable coin you know you've got it like instantly on to call but like did the wire go through you know it's all antiquated stuff where we're selling those transactions um same thing for like private equity deals if you're in venture capital and you're like hey i want to send you like six seven eight figures worth of money like let's just let's just wire it over um wire it over a over a blockchain that like that the stable coins are massive for those use cases. Um, And that they're like boring, but Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they have a ton of traction. DeFi has a ton of traction. Um, You know, that's why I try to focus on DeFi a lot because it's already got a ton of steam and it's, it's the surest bet for crypto Mm long-term.
2: Yeah. We've been seeing a lot of, We've been seeing a lot of uh, like institutions jump in, both on the DeFi level and on the stablecoin level. Like, uh, like I, I saw something about Chase a few weeks ago made their first DeFi transaction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Visa and Mastercard have been exploring stablecoins, and 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 you're right. I mean, in a, in a B2B context, like the only complaints there have been with stablecoins is that that it's like slow relative to like swiping a debit card. But even that, like even stable. now like layer twos yeah. on Ethereum, make it really fast. The Taro protocol is going to allow stable coins on Bitcoin's lightning network pretty soon. It's going to, you know, it's the, yeah. it's crazy. It's getting there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, but even if, even if all we ever have was stable coins on Ethereum, like it's still big, like it doesn't take that long. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, if you give it a minute and you're just going to sit there and just make sure that like, you know, a lot of money went through, like it's, it's not that big a deal.
0: <laughs> you, were, you were talking about the BB payment side of things. And that's uh. I'm glad you highlighted that because um, yeah, it doesn't get a lot of attention. And it, I guess if you're an everyday consumer, it's not really on your radar. But um, tying this back to blockchain development jobs, are you seeing trad companies look for blockchain developers to help them ideate, think through these these types of use cases, these types of projects?
1: Yeah, definitely, 100. Yeah,
0: and, like uh, any corners of the market you're seeing a, like extra traction or attention in.
1: Um I mean there's TradFi wants to get into blockchain for two different reasons. One is to build, you know, on blockchain rails and the other one is to like quantitative trading. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's way too way different like like skill sets, right? Um, you know, I think for most people um, most people like getting into the TradFi space to help them build blockchain solutions is probably better. Um, building quantitative trading strategies is not for the faint of heart. I'll put it that way.
0: <laughs> you need to know a little bit more than solidity probably.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, there's a lot of extra <laughs> knowledge that comes tied tie to that. And, you know, yeah, you, you just, you're competing with a lot of very smart people.
0: hmm hmm
2: Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of the, the web two business world, uh, we have a question from Chris. He's asking, uh, are you seeing use cases for NFTs in business?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think we're just scratching the surface with NFTs. And, and what I was saying before is, um, you know, uh, there's a lot we can do with blockchain. I'm not saying, like, DeFi is the only thing. What I'm saying is if you want to, like, bet your career on something, like, you want to bet it on something that has the most sure Sure, traction, you know, you know, what I mean, that's kind of like before I was talking about what should I decide? Should I build on this? I build on that. I was like, I stuck with Ethereum because it has all this traction, right? If I was a developer, I was getting into blockchain and I was like, well, what do I want to specialize in? I'd specialize in that has the most traction. that that That's why, like, let's say DeFi. Um, now NFTs have a lot of traction, right? But the biggest traction right now is still like, you know, profile picture NFTs, and like collections and, and digital mm-hmm. collectibles, all that type of stuff. I'm not dissing any of that, I'm just any of that. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge NFT collector myself. Right. Um, but I'm more excited about how NFT can represent value of real world assets. Right. So, um, I, I know that's kind of like, uh, some challenges because they're not blockchain native assets and, you know, uh, collectibles and profile pictures are blockchain native assets. Right. Um, And like, you know, community passes and things like that. Um, But I I still think there's a massive value proposition for NFTs to facilitate the transfer of real world assets of of those ownerships Mm -hmm. or that ownership. So there's lots of examples. I mean, real estate's an obvious one. Um, You know, the the real estate industry really has a target painted on its head in terms of, what's going to happen to it with blockchain in the future, in my opinion, there, there's some question marks with that. I'll kind of just in a minute, but like there, there's so many problems that can be fixed with real estate in blockchain. Mm-hmm. So like, you, you know, if, if you have ever purchased a piece of property before, you know, you have to go to this thing called a closing, right. And at the closing you like, you sign these documents that have all these line items on it, right. That are like, you know, um, essentially origination fees for the loan. Um, Title, like checking the title of the property. Um, all, all this different stuff. You got realtors fees, you got, you know uh, just uh, all these things are baked into closing costs. All these people that are like, I want to cut of this transaction. Right. It takes a long yeah. time. Most closings, unless you're doing just like cash deals off market, take at least 30 days, usually like 30, 60, 90 days, uh, depending on how much due diligence there is with the property and, and, and just the terms that are negotiated between the buyer and the seller. So you, you could, you could cut all that stuff. <laughs> and, and also not to mention the, the ownership of the property is literally transferred in, in in some cases by someone pulling a piece of paper off of a shelf in a physical building, taking a ink pen and like changing something on that document. And, and it's like, like that feels like that. that's like, you might as well be doing that on a, a chisel. Yeah,
0: that's right? your $500 <laughs> for, recording fee for you paying yeah. someone to take a document yeah. off the yeah. shelf and write on
1: it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, right. and I mean, it's, it's, not everybody does it that way. Right. But there are some places that literally do that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um... Like that—that's just screaming that this—that we need an overhaul on this type of thing. And you know, blockchain is about value transfer. Uh, real estate's a pay-to-play system, just like finances. Um, you know, owning a property is very—it's very easy to model the ownership of a property with NFTs. They're non-fungible. Uh, mm-hmm. There's lots of incentives to create closings that can automate the transfer of those things, including funding those deals with uh, financing through crypto. Um, you know, we could streamline all that process later. Real estate is trending in more of an online shopping direction with Zillow. You could close those transactions completely online with NFTs uh, to reduce the amount of people regarded, you know, or, or, sorry, required in that transaction. Um, it's you know it, the, the real the real thing is what's going to happen with people who uh, are the gatekeepers right now for the current way of doing things, mm-hmm. and can we get incentives on board, to essentially? Um, kind of move past what we have now. That that's going to be one of the biggest challenges, and also the regulations, right? Because it, it's not a technology problem. We have enough we have enough bandwidth to process uh, every single U.S. real estate transaction per year on the Ethereum Layer One right now without any scaling, assuming that it's just one transaction per close, um, just for the U.S. Um, now, of course, did it globally. That's got to change, and and do some, play- but it was, but really, to start, it's not a it's not a technology problem. It's it's mm-hmm. a it's incentives and and potential regulations.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because we we've gravitated into talking about like where these kind of Web two Web three worlds kind of combine and where these use cases end up um, end up kind of overlapping. So in the context of someone curious about like finding a job in the web three world, um, where do you see the job market going with demand for this overlap between, between web two and web three?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say, yeah, it, it's a good question. I'm trying to think of the best way to answer it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say basically, just like in the Web 2.0 world, everybody who's building in Web 3.0 is building for a different reason. They have a different mm-hmm. use case. They have a different, mm-hmm. you know, tech stack that can be required for that use case. How you can best prepare yourself for that mm-hmm. is to essentially really master the fundamentals of the technology um But by niching down on a specific set of programming language, like like basically do everything I was talking about before. You know, start with Solidity, learn how blockchain works through the context of actually creating things, okay? And most likely, you're going to be able to use Solidity, you know, when you're you're working, right? But then pair that with a secondary skill set of like JavaScript you can do all these other tasks, also create fun applications and scripts and all that type of stuff, right? And then you'll you'll be able to know a programming language where you can communicate lots of other developers as well. So that's going to give you some Web 2.0 chops as well as Web 3.0 chops. And now you've got a pretty good solid base to start from wherever you need to go. So let's say you started somewhere and you needed to learn like a new programming language, right? Like it'd be way easy for you to do that after you've already done those things, right? Or let's say you need to learn a new blockchain sort of thing. It's going to be way easier to do that. You know, what most people are going to do, they're just going to get this analysis paralysis and never start or learn a bunch of different things, never get good enough at anything to provide any type of value. And you really just got to commit. And you want to commit on the stuff that gives you the most likelihood that it's going to be useful in the marketplace. And those two things are definitely going to do that. And then that, that gives you Web 3.0 value, gives you Web 2.0 value, and you got lots of options about where to connect the dots from there. That's what I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. What if we flip that around, Gregory? So let's say I'm where you pick Starbucks or I'm a Starbucks competitor. Okay. Yeah. And I want to do something with blockchain. I'm still maybe my definition of the use cases are kind of fuzzy, but I know that this is something that I can't afford to wait to explore. I need to start learning about it. Maybe there's something I need to build or, or you know do a trial or a pilot with. Um, where do I start? Like, Who do I talk to? Do I try to train my team to learn blockchain? Do I try to hire some blockchain developers? Do I bring on someone from the outside? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, every company is going to have a different approach based on their company size, their budget, you know, uh, all that type of stuff. Uh, I'll tell you from experience as a business owner myself, um, if I need somebody else to do something for me that I do not understand and it's has a huge consequence in the long-term outcome of my business. I want to hire an expert. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, basically like, but the expert, oftentimes it's too expensive to implement things and, and you want to know get the knowledge of how they do of what to do and then hiring the right people to accomplish those things so that, that that's why like mm-hmm. having high level expertise can be extre- extremely valuable right but then like in terms of being a developer if you're, if you're trying to frame this back and what should i know as a developer it still mm-hmm. goes back to the same type of thing about being you know good enough to kind of figure out what needs to get done because i what you have to do as a developer but if, if i'm a business owner, and I want to figure out what the blockchain is, I want to ask an expert.
0: Who are those experts in your mind? I mean, outside of yourself, the resources you offer?
1: Um, I mean, so it it just depends on what I want to do. Right? So if I want to to do something, I want to find someone who has done the exact same thing, or as close as possible to the exact same thing that I want to do who's not competitive to me. So, you know, if, if I'm Starbucks and I want to build an nft like like supply chain platform i want to find out who has the closest relevant experience to do that and got success or the closest they possibly could to success right so give me image point second yeah but yeah the that that answer is going to change right it's not like here's just this it's about niching down and who's who has the most experience for it is close to exactly what you want to do who will actually tell you the truth <laughs> you know
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's about yeah. And you have mentioned niching down a few times in this conversation. Are there are there particular niches that you have like a a positive outlook on and that that would be a good idea to go after for someone today?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Um some of con- this might contradict what I said a little bit before. Um but I mean NFTs are a great niche, you know what I mean? Um I know I said mm-hmm. betting on DeFi that that's kind of if you're just if you're just trying to like I'm not trying to niche down, right? Like, I'm just trying to become a developer and I want to go where there's traction, right? That, that still is niching, right? But that's more just like focusing on use cases that you could just build skills, build a portfolio, show someone what you can do. Like, if you're like, hey, I was a DeFi developer, like, that's that's gonna like increase the in likelihood that they see you know crypto, like, we're going to hire you, right? So there's lots of things you could niche down in. You can niche down in... Uh, NFTs you could niche down specific areas of NFTs you could niche down in specific areas of defi you could niche down in security auditing um, you could niche down in you know lots of other things lot those would be some of the big ones that come to mind though
0: what well, kind of goes back to what you said a moment ago of like if you really want to add value and get someone's attention and have them see that you can solve a problem for them you have to have deep knowledge in something having yep. kind of a surface level one-on-one level, you know, or education on a bunch of different things doesn't get you far enough to really help someone. So it's, it sounds like you're saying it's more important to really just pick that one niche and make yourself an expert there than just kind of take things ad hoc.
1: Yeah. And you want the niche to have enough demand though to support it. Right. Cause if you mm-hmm. a niche is too small, like it's, it's not great. Like, so if you, if you were like, I want to become a, I want to niche down and mm-hmm. like, creating uh nft marketplace aggregators like that's probably too small of a niche you uh-huh. know what i mean because like there's only yeah. so many products that are gonna get built in that um mm-hmm. but yeah something else you know
2: that's a little more broad that has more tangential mm-hmm. use
1: cases is, is gonna be good enough
0: yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah and so pivoting pivoting a little bit but um tying it back still so Let's say a developer wants to niche down a little bit um, and f- really find a corner of the space that they can start developing in. Um, they're gonna they're gonna pretty readily find places where they just get stuck, right? And they and they don't know what to do, who to ask for help, things like that. What sort of like online communities would you would you recommend a developer to help talk through problems with other developers who have maybe gone through a similar problem?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, definitely, shamelessly plugged Diversity to this one, right? Mm-hmm. We've got a couple different ways you can kind of get plugged in there yeah. uh, through the boot camp. We have our master program, which has a big community inside of there. Uh, we recently started doing our mentorship program, uh, where we're like training people for for jobs, um, you know, mm-hmm. but in a very high touch way. Um, so, so that for sure. I mean, getting in discords also is another viable way, uh, especially like getting in discord projects. Like, let's say you're, you're going to the nicheing down route, right? And you want to mm-hmm. become a DeFi like, let's uh, uh, say you want to niche down in in like, DeFi options, right? Like 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 that. That's a that's a niche. That's a, that's basically viable niche. Lots of people are building like trading platforms and want to integrate options and haven't done it yet, right? Or want to create options specific platforms. There's been tons of opportunity to create options products with different mm-hmm. vari- variability. And now this is a heady topic, right? You gotta understand a lot of math in order to become an options trader and also options developer right but let's just say you want to do that so how do you get involved with community can help you accomplish that just get into discord where people are doing this already right and so start building the projects and like say hey i don't understand this or and but don't don't do that like go in and try to try to add value you know what i mean and then as mm-hmm. you get stuck like you know try to try to get help with that
2: mm-hmm.
1: you give, give yeah, I mean, first one thing before thing ask. <laughs> go
2: good <ahead>, sorry right <laughs> right yeah, I mean, one thing I've noticed a lot is is developers are extremely community oriented. Oh, yeah. um, do, do you think that comes from like the mutual the mutual struggle of constantly being like frustrated at your computer screen and helping each other talk through the? What do you think that camaraderie kind of comes from?
1: I think it comes from a lot of things. Um, I think that's one of them, um, especially as remote becomes more commonplace for developers. I think developers get kind of isolated and lonely. and Want to talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's also um, People like just generally to talk about things that they're interested in, and a lot of developers are interested in what they do, so they'll want to talk about that. I think uh, uh, not all developers, but a lot of developers genuinely have a uh, "I want to help other people" attitude. You know what I mean? Not everybody, right? You kind of get the alpha nerd uh, in there every now and then who just <laughs> right. wants to prove how smart they are and what they know. But um, I think it comes from a lot of those things.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that make it makes the work a lot more fun too. Like, it's not like you only have to talk about development work. There's a lot of like culture and, and, you know, shared experience that that comes and um, you know, sharing jokes or what's going on in life. Like, I think people just have an innate desire to do things with other people. We're kind of hardwired that way. And, um, it's just a more, you know, fundamental way that we're made.
1: Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, the the developer landscape has changed a lot, you know, in the past, even 10 years or so. Um, Mm -hmm where it, it's much more like common for just like quote unquote normies to be developers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like you could just meet a guy in a coffee shop who looks pretty normal and like find out he's a developer. Right. But that wasn't always true. So like <laughs> sometimes developers were like social outcasts, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who like, who weren't like, yeah, weren't what most people wouldn't consider just like normal. Um, that That's definitely not true anymore. Right. So, um, you know, some of that was just like, you just talked to people who you had things in common with who didn't, like think you were weird <laughs> socially, <laughs> right? So that that's where a lot of the developer community comes from.
0: Yeah. Mm. Austin is asking us if we can uh, make an alpha nerd t-shirt. So if uh, we can do a collab on that and then uh, promote it to our uh, audiences and see where that I, takes I got, us. I got,
1: a, I got a better idea. How about an alpha nerd NFT? Okay, even better, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All
0: right, we're gonna that's expect funny. a tutorial on, on YouTube from you, uh, uh make that soon. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's even a double entendre because of alpha like with with like you know information that has uh, uh, a competitive advantage
2: so Mm -hmm. that's funny that's awesome yeah yeah Yeah. gregor you've mentioned in the past too that that you're a musician right and so i know um so it the way you see things and with your experience in the music industry uh that you that you have like so what what do you see this whole space how do you see it changing the music industry at all if if at all yeah what's your outlook there
1: yeah two main things so before we talked somebody asked the question about business use cases for nfts i mean again i am mm-hmm. kind of going back to this point where we're just scratching the surface of what we can do with nfts i think nfts are the biggest way that music can be changed um two two main ways one is concert tickets um you know nft ticketing is definitely we're headed in that direction you got big problems of people getting on Ticketmaster, buying up all the tickets with bots before, you know, mm. regular people can purchase them and then, you know, actual fans are, are, are forced to pay exorbitant prices on secondary markets, right? I mean, there's a couple ways you can fix that problem, right? If, if it's, there's kind of basic economic principle, like the tickets are already like too cheap if the bots are willing to risk it, right? You can just raise the prices. But then that then that excludes like people, a lot of fans who don't want to, or can't pay those high prices, right? So you don't wanna mess with the mm-hmm. economics probably. So another potential way is to use blockchains uh, to prevent bots from buying them. So that looks like identity mm-hmm. verification, right? And then basically like, you know, uh, enforcing limits with with blockchain and then having those NFTs. You could program things like where the tickets are non-transferable, right? Um, or like if you transfer them, they have to go back to the issuer, right? Um, or you have to burn them and, and the new ones have to get purchased or something, right? There's, there's lots of different things that you could, you could do with that. Um, so that's one way. Um, the other way is with intellectual property and, mm-hmm. uh, attribution of, of royalties. So, um, you know, it, it, anybody <laughs> like, it's absolutely crazy that a human has to check how many times, a, a song was played on the radio on spotify how many times a cd was sold and then like a a black better word like like a bean counter has to like like Mm. check all this stuff right that that's Mm. completely automated with blockchains right like if you if you know exactly how much something has, has, has happened and you can just like stream the money from that to the person's crypto wallet, like like that's the huge, huge game changer. Um huge, huge efficiency benefit. So intellectual property, like like CD sales, which we don't really do much anymore, but any type of media sale mm-hmm. uh or stream mm-hmm. or video view or any time a song is used somewhere, um, if, if all if if the reporting of all that can be automated and then the payout of that can be automated, then that's that's massive.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean what one classic example of this that um at least for anyone who was a metal kid in the mid-2000s right you have victory records um was famously like sued into the ground by their own artists because they wouldn't pay out (laughs) royalties and it was like pulling teeth to get the royalties out right and so that would that would definitely fix that problem are are there like technical limitations that would prevent like from scaling like Cause yes. do you see like the music itself being put on the blockchain or is it sort of like linked by proxy to somewhere external online? Like what, what are the technical challenges?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a song or a video is not going to go on a blockchain, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's just, you can't, you can't really do that. And I don't think mm-hmm. we're ever going to reach a world. I mean, I don't say never. Um, it's unlikely that we will reach a world anytime soon where you're going to put media on chain. That doesn't really make sense. Right. Uh, you mm-hmm. can put a reference to that media on chain, right. And that, that media could live somewhere else in the cloud. It could live on a decentralized file storage system. Right. Um, and then basically having a non fungible token that represents the ownership of that media. Right. And the attribution for those things happening. Um, now scale is still a problem, right. Because, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, it, it, it it's it's not uncommon for like relatively unheard of artists to to get a popular song on Spotify and have a million streams, right? So mm-hmm. so imagine like you know the the Justin Bieber's and the Weekends of this world who are like some mm-hmm. of the most listened to artists ever on Spotify, and what a nightmare that would be to like scale to that size, right? I I don't know what Spotify sticks are, but we we don't have the scalability presently with blockchains to really support attribution for all those types of things. Um, The other challenge is just how do you actually make a trustless attribution, right? How how do you actually trustlessly know that when someone requested media, like it was played and then you could send that back to um, a chain. We don't have that yet either.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: And is that a, um, is that purely a technological problem or would we not, is there some thought that has to go into how you would even set that up and create the right incentives and, and structures as well?
1: Um, it, It's, it's kind of an everything problem. It, it's really a potential. Right. And and that's mm-hmm. why I say like, like if I was a developer game in the space, like <laughs> I wouldn't bet my horse on like this happening like next year. Right. Like, yeah. but a, a new advancement in DeFi is probably going to happen this year. It's probably going to happen next year. It's probably going to happen the year after, you know what I mean? Um, So it's, it, it, there's definitely an incentive problem. Like, you know, when, when streaming came along, like record companies did not want that to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They fought tooth and nail, but streaming basically won. Um, you know, um, the, the same type of thing will happen here. You know, um, m- my hope is that it would put more money in the pockets of the artists, right? It would put more mm. opportunities and <laughs> they don't want to pay more money to the artists, right? Like, I get it. Like, I'm also, I want to be very clear. I'm also not opposed to like, businesses who provide a massive value getting paid their 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 due share like a you know like I'm very pro pro capitalism in that regard right but there's you can also if the artist so chooses to be independent and be more of the capitalist themselves right that like it gives them more opportunity and that, that's that's kind of what yeah, I'm talking about gives them
0: that option sure yeah right. well we're close mm-hmm. to running out of time but speaking of you know projects and things that might happen in the next year um, any specific projects or developments that you are really excited about that are on your radar for, for this year?
1: Scaling. Yep. Scaling. Scaling is one of the biggest ones. So I think we're um, kind of at an inflection point with scaling layer twos, particularly on Ethereum. Um, we're seeing lots of adoption and usage daily transactions are up despite being in a bear market. I don't, it's just airdrop farming. I think it's more people kind of migrating towards that. Um you know, scaling blows it, it. it Once we have scalable blockchains, that people actually use it opens up the door for a number of use cases. Uh, it's already happening. I think it'll have it more in 2023. I think it'll have more in 2024. Um, and just every year after this.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, well, uh, yeah. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on your, uh, on your YouTube channel. to See what you're covering there. And um, if we can follow up in the future, it's going to kind of see how that plays out and hear your thoughts on it. But uh, Hey, we're, we're just about out of time, so I want to share a couple of quick updates with you all uh, before we run at the clock here. Uh, first of all, we're continuing to see a lot of interest in our free uh, Web3 infrastructure at BlockSpaces. So um, if you haven't checked that out, um, head to the Web3 infrastructure page on our website, BlockSpaces.com. You can sign up for free access to RPC endpoints uh, for over 30 blockchain protocols. and you know, Several of those you won't find anywhere else, at least not uh, for free. So. Uh, please take a look at that whether you're um, just getting into blockchain development or uh, starting a new project. We've got a lot of um, really helpful resources there to help you get you on your way. Uh, secondly, um, if you want an invite to our next interview in AMA to join us live, um, just go to blockspaces.com slash podcast, drop your email in there to get notified. Um, we, uh, we'd we love to have you join us live. We'd love to send you a recording afterwards. Um, so again, Blockspaces.com slash podcast. Drop your email in. We'll send you a note when we're uh, doing the next one of these, which uh, is about every two weeks. So that's about it for today. Gregory, if uh, one of our listeners wants to get in touch with you, subscribe to your content, I know you're going to say YouTube, but uh, any other thing, any other details you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, definitely go check out uh, the YouTube channel. It's this the main home of DAP Diversity. Um, we've got some of those. There's, there's tons of, there's tons of, free tutorials there on the YouTube homepage and they'll like you to be courses but totally free for you to get started, right? Um, and if you like those and you're like, hey, this is awesome, and you really want something that's way you want to go for the throat, build a professional level application, um, you know, build your portfolio, really get the skills that you need to break into the blockchain industry, then definitely uh you can take the next step by heading over to dappyvers.com forward slash boot You know, you really don't have to be an expert to get started like today. Um, I've helped people who had no coding experience break in the industry and land their first job in as fast as just two
0: months. So awesome. Well, we will uh, include those uh, links in the show notes. Austin dropped a couple of them here in the chat. So thank you for that, Austin. Uh, Gregory, if you'll hang on after we stop recording uh, just sure. for a moment. Thank you so much for being here. It was awesome to have, to have you. Tons of great content. And uh can't thank you enough. Awesome. Yeah, thank you Thanks for allowing me to this. Yeah, thank you all for being here. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to BlockSpaces Live. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen. And if this show helped you on your path to building with blockchain, then we'd be thrilled if you left us a review while you're there. And remember to join our live recordings, just head to blockspaces.com slash podcast. Put in your email and we'll send you an invite. See you next time.